Bank of America gets hustled. JP Morgan has even more headaches. And Warren Buffett says the U.S. housing market has room to run. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, and right here next to me is David Hansen. David, Carl Icahn has set up a website to help him agitate for a big share buyback at Apple. Mm-hmm. What website are you setting up, and what cause are you going after? Oh, my gosh. Website? I don't know. You want Brian, Brian Moynihan's job? No. I don't you want do. That. Yes, you do. That's, that's a terrible... I respect, I respect terrible, the job. That's, that's a terrible, a terrible job. job to have. Honestly, Brian Moynihan could be working for a private equity firm making twice the money but he's working for Bank of America. I don't want that job. Twice the money with about 10% of the headaches. There you go. All right. Uh, we've, got some, we've got some good headlines today. We've got some interesting... Depending on who you are. Yeah, I guess depending on who you are. The first one comes from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, jury decides against B of A on hustle program. So this is that countrywide program, the high-speed swim lane, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the hustle. They were, for lack of, a, of, of getting into all of the nitty-gritty details, they were allegedly passing through all of these low-quality loans onto Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that countrywide, that is, passing them through. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, now controlled by the government, are coming back and saying, those are bad loans. Mm-hmm. We want money from you. So... It, I mean, what are you taking away from this? I mean, the key takeaways are convicted here of civil fraud, so it doesn't look great in the headline. I mean, civil, that, civil is the key. It doesn't mean that much, really. It's just kind of a charge. The fine won't be more than a billion dollars. It's not really going to hurt the bank in the long run. So as an investor, I think the takeaways are, okay, bad headline, but the actual penalty is not a big deal. If you're an investor today, I think you kind of just say, all right. That's but, so the government used uh, the, the FREA regulations to, to be able to go after this, and that gives them a much longer statute of limitations. It's 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if you're a shareholder in J.P. Morgan or, or Wells Fargo or any of the other big banks, even outside the big four, are you worried watching this that this is going to be a template to go after all the other banks? I'm not. Again, I think you could see headlines. More stuff could come out. But I really don't think there's going to be anything that really damages the bank and really damages shareholders in the long run. So I'm not worried. I like your optimism. All right, moving on to the next headline. This one's from Dealbook. Another bad headline. This one for J.P. Morgan. <laughs> what a surprise. J.P. Morgan faces possible pen- penalty in Madoff case. We're talking about Bernard Madoff. This guy hasn't been in the news in a while. And this is the possibility that J.P. Morgan knew about the fraud going on with Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme and did not alert authorities, something under the Bank Secrecy Act, I think is what it's called, that they're required to do. Again, here, possibly facing criminal charges, but I guess they're, they're working on a deal that would allow them not to be uh, prosecuted criminally, and they would agree to a fine, implement some controls here. So, again, doesn't look like they're going to be charged criminally, which is a good thing for the bank. Right, right. So two, two things that jump out at me here. One of the emails, one of the internal J.P. Morgan emails that the article highlighted mm-hmm. said something to the tune of, this, uh, this Madoff thing looks too good to be true. Right. Which, you know... Kind of, it's not exactly a smoking gun that I think anybody would be thinking about. There are a lot of people looking at what Madoff was doing. And Including saying, the federal authorities. That, yeah, <laughs> saying that, that looks like it was too good to be mm-hmm. true. Um, J.P. Morgan was not the auditor of, of, uh, of Madoff. But who knows? I mean, obviously, there is, there's a lot, of, lot more information that, right. that the government investigators are privy to. The other thing is deferred prosecution. 
this is this is not a good thing for for anybody. But go back to 2007, American Express for its bank agreed to a uh, deferred prosecution deal for uh, alleged uh, drug. Well, it wasn't really alleged; mm-hmm. it was uh, drug drug laundering, uh, drug money laundering going on at American Express's bank. Moving on to the third, and American Express, I should add, American Express is indeed still around today. Third headline from Bloomberg, we have Buffett says gains in housing fall short of equilibrium, or the other way to read that could be Warren Buffett saying that the housing market has more room to run. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've already seen really strong gains from the housing market since the crash. Uh, we noted in yesterday's show that the most recent month-over-month gain was one of the smallest in in the rec- in, in the past year. Um, are you with Buffett here? I, I think you you kind of have to be. He's looking at the numbers in terms of you have to be. You have to be. That's with Buffett. Bold. He's looking at the numbers in terms of housing starts. Uh-huh. So that's are we actually building houses with household formations? People that are actually coming in making families and needing houses, and we're still not trending where we need to be for that to be in equilibrium there. So over the long run. The supply is going to have to, have to meet the demand that's going to be there. So I'm with Buffett on this. Well, I think that's the key to remember is that it's not just about housing prices going up. Right. I think it's more an economic thing. And, yes. and we haven't seen the housing market contribute to the economy the way it has in past post-recession recoveries. Wh- which is the way the housing market should be. It shouldn't be about price speculation. It should be about economic supply and demand. Are there people wanting homes? Are there homes being built? That's really what should be the driver. Price here. speculation is way, way more fun. All right. Moving on to the next round, looking at... Three more headlines, rapid-fire style. The first one is from Bloomberg. Morgan Stanley joins B of A in broker recruiting truce. And this is referring to the wealth management business. And traditionally in the wealth management business, you have a book of clients, and if a bank wanted to steal you, steal your business, and bring them over to your bank, they would say, hey, we'll give you this big bonus for all these clients that you have. Bank of America and Morgan Stanley saying, we're going to cool down on that a little bit. And I think this is a good thing for the banks because they had to pay a lot to get these clients, and that would hurt margins. I think it's a good thing for customers. I, personally, I, I didn't like it when wealth managers w- would jump around to different banks and go to Morgan Stanley, go over to Merrill Lynch. I just get kind of a bad taste in my mouth from it. Uh, so I think it's a good thing for the banks, good thing for customers. Second headline, also from Bloomberg, KKR third quarter profit increases 23% on buyout holdings. The thing that I'll highlight here is what I think is really interesting with KKR, uh, and this is a bigger bigger picture thing, KKR, but also Blackstone, also Carlisle, is that uh, these firms are really becoming much more than just buyout shops. They have a lot more going on there, hedge funds, uh, investment banking operations, and maybe a little bit of, of what was lost from the investment banks during the crisis, maybe moving over to shops like this. So when, when you look at, at KKR over the long run, it, it, do they have a competitive advantage compared to these other shops, or is it kind of just you're betting on the intelligence? Well, I think, it's, I think it's more that when you look at KKR, Blackstone, Carlisle, Apollo, they have a competitive advantage against the everybody whole else. Yeah. All right, moving on to the last rapid-fire headline. Not really a headline here, more of just news. We got Evercore and Lazard both reporting earnings today. Market liked what they saw. Both stocks up around 5% after earnings. And these are smaller investment banks. And when we look across the board, Evercore, they're really only an investment bank. They do have some, some trading businesses, but the vast majority of their business is traditional investment banking, advising clients on mergers and acquisitions. And they're a small bank, but they're on some big deals. They're advising AT&T on the Leap Wireless deal. Uh, and you look over at Lazard, they're split between M&A advisory and their wealth management business pretty evenly. So there, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag, but they're in on some big things. Lazard advised on the Heinz deal. This is, a, this is a business model that I think I like the business model. I like the small investment banks that are dedicated to mergers and acquisitions. They can be a little bit more intimate with the clients. So 
I like the business. The businesses seem to be performing well, and the stocks are doing quite well, too. Okay, our focus for the day, our focus for the day is going to be Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And you and I have talked about Fannie and Freddie on a number of occasions in the past, and we've heard from a lot of people that, that have not been uh, pleased with our coverage because we are, are very uh, firm, in the, we've been firm in our position that, that they're not great investments for, for most people. And not traditional investments. They're a unique circumstance, I would say. A unique circumstance is a good way to put it. While I was out, a, um, an email came in from one of our viewers named Jeremy Kane. He was, uh, he was of this group that was concerned that we were not considering the full picture and not giving uh, the due to the, to the uh, potential investment uh, opportunity at Fannie Mae right. and Freddie Mac. So I thought we'd, we'd take a moment today to, to revisit and, and share some of our thoughts and, and maybe challenge our previous assumption that, uh, that Fannie and Freddie are not good investments. Fair enough. So I guess, you know, where, where it starts for me is, is I go back to the documents. So th- there's, a, there's a lot that's swirling around, uh, around these two, uh, f- from lawsuits to, to bills in Congress to uh, rhetoric from, from the White House and other government officials. But I like to, to go back to, to what the documents actually say. And one of the key sticking points for a lot of proponents of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is that there was an amendment to the conservatorship. Right. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are in conservatorship. And right should now. we go back and give a quick primer on the whole 2008 thing, a real quick 30,000 view? Sure, go, go for it. Okay, so for, real quick. For, for anyone who hasn't been following the situation, 2008, not a good time for Freddie and Fannie. The FHFA came in, or the board of Fannie and Freddie, they approved that the FHFA could come in, be the conservator, Doing that, they transferred all rights to the conservator to basically control uh, the company there, and they were tasked with keeping the company safe and solvent. They've done that. In, in 2012, August 2012, they made an amendment to the agreement. What did it say? <laughs> well, the That's am- where you left off. Uh, the, the, the amendment essentially said, I mean, I mean this is, this is a, uh, an a easy longer, interpretation. Yeah. No longer will Fannie and Freddie be paying a certain dividend on the, on the loans that, that they've been that they've, that they've gotten. Mm-hmm. The, that dividend was ten percent. Now there would be a capital buffer that Fannie and Freddie would would, would hold, and then all the other capital would go to the uh, to the government. Uh, and in addition, the debt could no longer be paid down by Fannie and Freddie. And this sort of paved the way. A, for keeping Fannie and Freddie, you might say undercapitalized or, or capitalized to such an extent that they, that they just barely would get by. Mm-hmm. And it also sort of paved the way for the two organizations to be wound down, which, mm-hmm. which we've heard a lot about. Exactly. So here's what, if we go to the 2012 10K for um, Fannie Mae, mm-hmm. here's what it reads. It says, our directors do not have any fiduciary duties to any person or entity except to the conservator and accordingly are not obligated to consider the interests of the company, the holders of our equity or debt securities, or the holders of Fannie Mae uh, mortgage-backed securities unless specifically directed to do so by the conservator. So that's 2012. That's after this amendment happened. Right. So what I, uh, what I want to do is you, know, you, go, you go and look back. How, how, how much had changed uh, between the, the past, what Fannie Mae was looking at the past and what they currently are, the 2010 10K, here's a, here's a line from that. The conservatorship has no specified termination date. There can be no assurance as to when or how the conservatorship will be terminated, whether we will continue in our current form following conservatorship, or what changes to our business structure will be made following the conservatorship. 
late, later on, it says in the, in the 10K as well, the conservator's powers include the ability to transfer or sell our assets or liabilities, generally without any approval, assignment of rights, or consent of any party. So essentially, you, you do have a big change with that 2012 amendment. Mm-hmm. However, even way back when, even back in 2010 and, and earlier, you had Fannie Mae essentially saying through the, uh, in this conservatorship, we don't know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and we don't even know if we're going to continue to exist. And, and that's, that's the sticking point with these legal issues. The, the legal question is, was it legal for the FHFA to amend that agreement uh, on the preferred stake there and sweep all the profits to the Treasury. That's the sticking point, whether that's legal. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not lawyers, we're not legal analysts here. There may be a legal case there, and you could maybe argue that. But from an investment perspective, and when we're looking at what the company is filing in the SEC, what rights do we have as shareholders, just want to say that this is different than investing in a, a, normal, a normal public company, and that's not under conservatorship. So not saying that the people that, that own the preferreds, that even own the common shares, have zero chance of succeeding. I, I don't say that at all. They, they certainly could get a favorable court ruling and, and make a lot of money in mm-hmm. this circumstance. I don't disagree with that at all. But just that's what you're investing in, essentially, is the court agreeing with you that that was illegal and then giving you some restitution for your your stake there. Right. And, and, and then I, I, in the meantime, so, so we've got Fannie Mae in its SEC filings basically telling you, we don't know if we're going to continue mm-hmm. to exist, more or less. And then in the meantime, you've got these bills swirling around Congress that are looking specifically, and this is both sides of the aisle. This isn't a just Democrat or a just Republican thing. This is Democrats and Republicans both looking to wind down uh, Fannie and Freddie. If we go back to 2011, the White House actually delivered a white paper uh, on uh, uh, reforming the housing market. Mm-hmm. And the number one point in that white paper was wind down, this is a quote, wind down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and help bring private capital back to the market. So th- there are really two things here. So, so the one is just like you said, is there a legal case to be made? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of unclear at this point. There's no, um, there's no uh, broad agreement and certainly the, the government wouldn't agree that there is a case to be made. Right. And then number two is that even if there is a case to be made, there's the technically correct of being, of being able to say, well, the government shouldn't have done this. And then there's the reality of saying, well, will the government do this? Mm-hmm. Because you can be technically correct and say, oh, wow, the government shouldn't have done that. But you've got a goose egg there in your, uh, in your portfolio because the government did do that, mm-hmm. did do what it shouldn't have done, um, and maybe legal recourse just isn't there for whatever reason. So, so this is when I think about investing in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, these are the kind of things that I'm thinking about. And when it comes to investing as opposed to speculation or gambling, what, what, one of the things that I'm primarily concerned about is permanent loss of capital. And when I think about the potential for the government to continue on this course, to continue uh, to be able to uphold this amendment and continue to sweep away the profits of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and continue to move towards winding them both down, you're talking about permanent loss of capital if you're buying common shares, mm-hmm. specifically common shares of Fannie and Freddie. The, the um, preferred shares and a lot of the hedge funds, the, the hedge funds have gone into the common shares as well, but they've largely gone after the preferred shares. Maybe there's a little bit more that comes back to the preferred mm-hmm. shares. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think particularly with the common shares, uh, I, I think you very, very strongly face the potential for permanent loss of capital. Mm-hmm. 
And I go back to, uh, as I often do, uh, something that, that Warren Buffett likes to say is that there are no called strikes in investing. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac right now, this is kind of a situation where it's like, okay, the, the pitch is there. This seems like a wild pitch. And maybe you can swing at it and hit a home run. But I'm, I'm happy to let this one, one pass me by. And even if we look back a few years from now, and, and a lot of money has been made in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, I will be comfortable with, with, with me sitting here saying, I, I think it's best to take well, a pass and, on this. And some of the, the legal professors out there, they've, I think you pointed one to me yesterday, that they were writing about GM uh, into right. the bankruptcy process, and they said, this isn't right what the government should do, this is what should happen, this is what shareholders should get. They may have been right in the end, but that's not really what happened. Exactly. So exactly. There's, there's that whole issue there, too. So, so, so at the end of the day, um, th- there, is, there is reason. There is for, a probability. Yeah. If you think about this situation in probabilities, there is a probability of being successful here and it being in your favor. But it's just, just want to make it clear, uh, my opinion, and I think it sounds like you share the same opinion, is that's a very hard probability to, to quantify. You can, investing is a lot about probabilities a lot of the time. Um, to me, this is a very hard probability to calculate. There's a lot of factors here. So I'm yeah uh, yeah on this one I'm totally willing to leave the bat on my shoulder and let this one fly. But if by. but if we're missing anything, please send us any, yeah obviously send us comments. Uh, we're not obviously we're not we're, bashing we're, anyone. We're, we're we're address we're addressing this because we love getting feedback from our viewers from mm-hmm. our listeners. Uh, so so send us emails, tweet at us. Uh, it's at TMF Financials. That's where we are on Twitter. We mm-hmm. also have a Facebook page, Motley Fool Financials. Yep. Tell us what you think. We'd love to learn more. All right, moving on from there to something a little bit more fun. We've got the game for, the, for today, and it's Thursday, so we're playing a little Fool in the Blank. And David, why don't you kick us off with the first four? First scenario, Fool in the Blank, is blank is the one bank stock I'd put all my money in. All of it, Fool in the Blank. You got really excited about it. I know, that. it's a lot of money. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going I'm to go with Wells Fargo. Okay. So you and I, we played Rank, rank It was the game yesterday, and we looked at the, the big four banks. Mm-hmm. And my rankings, number one and number two, were J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. Now, J.P. Morgan, strong supporter of the bank. I've I've been pretty steadfastly supportive of the bank. But I think there are more question marks there. You you get a little bit of a cheaper price with J.P. Morgan than you do with with Wells Fargo, which makes it a little bit more attractive. Um, But there are more question marks with J.P. Morgan. So if I'm putting all of my money into one and locking it up, I like the the stability. I like the long-term performance of Wells Fargo, so I'm going there. Fair enough. I'm going with U.S. Bancorp, and you talk about the returns, uh, and there's not a, there's not as many question marks at Wells Fargo as compared to J.P. Morgan. I look at Wells or U.S. Bancorp, definitely not as many concerns there compared to some of the big ones. Sure. And if I'm putting all of my money into a bank, I'm not necessarily worried about getting very outsized returns. Uh, I would be comfortable. I think U.S. Bancorp can produce reasonable returns. I don't think they're going to be a huge outperformer mm-hmm. over the next five, ten years. I think they can produce reasonable returns, and if I'm putting all my money into one stock, I'm happy with that. All right. Number two scenario we've got here is blank is one thing to watch during mortgage REIT earnings. Not as exciting this, this quarter. Last quarter was very exciting for the mortgage REITs. We saw the, a lot of volatility in the interest rate market. Didn't know how the book values would react. This quarter was a little bit more boring. But the one thing I would be watching is which ones were opportunistic. And interest rates weren't as volatile. In the previous quarter, we saw them jump 100 basis points. That's a fair amount. It was not like that at all this quarter. Uh, but 
at one point, interest rates cooled down, went back up to around the 10-year Treasury was at 2.9%. It's come back down to, to 2.5%. So it's come down a little bit. And I'm curious which mortgage rates took advantage of that. We've seen Annaly be pretty defensive, scaled back leverage. Did they take the opportunity to, to perhaps lever back up or, or put money to work when rates ticked up to a, to a higher level? Or did they stay on the side, sideline? Same thing with, with American Capital Agency. They've been more levered up. Did they continue to lever up mm-hmm. and take advantage of higher rates? So I'm looking to see which management teams were opportunistic. It's just a quarter, but I think it'll tell you a little bit about the management's philosophy. I think just just a quarter is a good way to, to phrase it. Uh, I, I'm going to f- fill in that blank, fool in that blank. Commentary on the government is what I'll be watching in this mortgage re- earnings season. That's one blank. It's one <laughs> one phrase in the one blank. Okay. Come on, man. Uh, so commentary on the government. The the government shut down the. The, the saber rattling over the the, the debt over mm-hmm. the debt ceiling uh, that potentially that has big that has big implications for the mortgage rates so I'm I'm going to be interested to see what manage, the management teams have to say about that whole mess how they handled it how they were planning and and, and what they're doing looking ahead because frankly uh, Congress just kicked the can a little bit it's down the back. road it's it's coming back quickly so so I'm curious what what they're going to be doing ahead of that all right moving on to the last fool in the blank this one is. Bank of America's hustle case is an example of blank. Full in the blank. Prosecutorial creativity. Ooh. I, I think using using the the Faria uh, the Faria uh, regulatory uh, framework to be able to go after Bank of America for this, not only because it extended the statute of limitations, but because it essentially allowed the government to say. Um, that because uh, you have to have harm done to a federally insured institution, mm-hmm. they were saying that Bank of America was a federally insured institution. It did damage to itself. Shot itself in the foot. Right, and this that is that is why that, that is where this hustle case stemmed from, and I think that that was very creative. So so an A plus for creativity from the U.S. I'm Army. going with this was an example of food poisoning. And not just this case, but the whole countrywide <laughs> fiasco. It's kind of like you have a piece of chicken, chicken, and you're like, mm, it smells kind of weird. And that's kind of what countrywide was at the time of the acquisition. There was some rumblings about the company's stability. So they said, it smells a little weird, but I'm going to go ahead and eat it. A couple hours down the road, a couple years down the road, not feeling too good. <laughs> you're, that's, what you you're do feeling good. that's what you do in your refrigerator, isn't it? Exactly. Everything is all about the smell so, test. Countrywide. I think it's more, about, more like C4 in that chicken. <laughs> All right, uh, closing out the show as we always do uh, with the Twitter sphere. On the Twitter sphere, uh, let me note ahead of time we can be found as I as I said earlier on Twitter at TMF Financials. So uh, viewers and listeners on iTunes, always a good good to point out that for viewers they can get us on iTunes there now. You go. Uh, can tweet us at at TMF Financials. Do it. All right. Uh, first tweet is from. David Shawell, he says, more often than not, it's liquidity that causes banks to fail, not lack of capital. These new rules are smart and appropriate. And he's referring to some new rules that propose banks hold a little bit more liquid funds over a 30-day period. Not going to comment on the rules too much, but I thought the tweet was interesting, saying that liquidity is what makes banks fail. And people might be looking at these headlines about Bank of America's civil fraud, convicted, J.P. Morgan, $13 billion settlement. And then they look at the stock and the stock's up. They're saying, why isn't this impacting the business? Because his tweet is right on there. It's 
liquidity issues that really hurt banks. If we go back to 2011 when Bank of America was, was struggling and Warren Buffett made his investment, yes, they had legal issues back then, but there was questions over their, their liquidity. That's what the problem was. It's not about the settlements. It's about the liquidity. So when you look at banks, these things don't sound good, but as long as they have liquid operations, can, t- can continue to operate, they'll be okay. Yes. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the second tweet. We've got uh, Nick Tamaro said, uh, he's from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Nick tweets, home builders follow the money, and the money right now is in the move-up market, not entry level. So uh, the, the entry, the, the new, the first-time home buyer, the entry-level home buyer is just getting getting nailed on it seems like on every side mm-hmm. you've got all these investors with with uh, big bank accounts coming in and buying for cash uh, what is going on here so the move up market that refers to kind of that next tier of people that were entry level and now they're moving up to a little bit of a nicer house probably in the three hundred thousand dollar range rather than than the low end and that part of the economy not just the housing market is doing better than the the low end there and the low income part of the uh, the population so it's not good for them, but you see the home builders, and in the article it mentions that D.R. Horton, KB Home, traditionally they've looked at some of the low-end entry-level housing, and they're moving up, like the, the tweet says, they're moving up to that market to build a little bit nicer homes. So you've got to feel good if you're a shareholder in those companies taking advantage of the opportunity to move up and not just say, we only do entry-level and making nicer homes. Sure, sure. And, and it's, it's good, for, good for the home builders, some home builders like you're mentioning. But I also think about banks. When I hear move up, I hear transaction. Mm-hmm. I hear activity. And uh, every time a mortgage is written, there are fees that are associated with it. So when you move from one house to another and somebody else is buying your house, I, I hear the, uh, the dollar signs going for the banks as they issue those mortgages. They like that. Last tweet of the day we've got. From Wells Fargo. Speaking of mortgages, uh, still need an awesome, awesome costume idea? We have one right in our back pocket. 1960s Wells Fargo banker, hashtag TBT, and that stands for Throwback Thursday. How did you even figure that? How did you know that? Everybody knows that. TBT. (laughs) Everybody knows that. What an old guy over here. We actually have a picture (laughs) of the picture. That is the 1960s Wells Fargo banker, and that's, it's funny because Matt told me that's exactly what he's wearing. I've already, I've already, bought, I've already so bought that. For those of you listening, it's a woman. Her hair looks like it could probably withstand a bomb. It's so hardened, it looks like, that, on top there. It's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, she's got a nice little outfit on, and there you go. I, I do. I, I have all of that ready to go. It's like a helmet. That's the hair. That's, I the, actually, that's the word I'm looking for. I, I actually, as, as you may have guessed, I, I didn't actually buy the entire costume yet. You already had it. But <laughs> I, yeah, that's just what I have in my closet. There you that's go. Just, Opportunist. So that um, what the, the the other thing that I'll that I'll point out here is that uh, we have a new special report. We do. Uh, we do. This is uh, Warren Buffett. Some of Warren Buffett's greatest wisdom, and our viewers, our listeners, can get their hands on this report for free uh, just by emailing Warren. That is Warren Buffett's first name. Warren at fool.com and get that special report. It's a good one. So that's the show for today, folks. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow with the ever-popular investing chicken. You're not going to want to miss that. I'm going to make David wear the chicken hat. Uh, Thanks for watching. We will see you tomorrow.